Zechariah chapter 4. Before we get to that, though, uh, we'll uh, take some prayer requests. Rachel's still not feeling well, but... All right, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, I believe this is the fifth vision that Zechariah has. And it's a vision of a golden lampstand. And so, uh, Zechariah 4, 1, Now the angel who talked with me, I call him the interpreting angel, the angel who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And so I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees were by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro through the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And so as I read this, you know, I, I really uh, was able to relate to Zechariah. I realized I've got a lot in common with Zechariah. Two times, Zechariah is asked, do you not know what this means? And he goes, no, I have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, so isn't that encouraging that Zechariah sees this vision and, uh, uh, and he says, don't you know what that means? He says, no, I don't. So, uh, so Zechariah is, uh, is, 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 is seeing these things and needing uh, an interpreting angel to help him understand them. So, uh, so thankful that the interpreting angel explains the meaning of these visions for us. And now Zechariah has had four visions. Uh, uh, remember the historical setting, a remnant of Judah has returned from the exile and their city and their walls and their temple lie in ruins. But God has called two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, uh, to, to preach. And Haggai was used by God to stir the hearts of the people to begin the work of rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah was called to come alongside him and uh, uh, to even go beyond him to encourage the people to complete the work. So Haggai stirred their hearts to begin. Zechariah comes to encourage them throughout the work to finish what they had started. And so, uh, so Zechariah comes and he is called to speak comforting and encouraging words that we've talked about in the text. And, uh, and in this first part of the book, those comforting and encouraging words come in the form of a series of visions. So this is the fifth of the, of the visions. Zechariah's seen four previous visions, a vision of horses, uh, where 
God promises the restoration of Jerusalem. He saw a vision of horns that speak of the destruction of her enemies. He saw a vision of a measuring line that promised the rebuilding and the prosperity of the city. And in the vision of the priest, God promised uh, the restoration of the priesthood and the, re- and the renewal of the offering of sacrifices there at the, there at the temple. And then this is the fifth vision. And it, and it seems like, you look in verse 1, it seems like Zechariah is almost kind of overwhelmed by the visions that he has seen and the interpreting angel speaking to him about these. And he is kind of in a, in a stupor as he contemplates the meaning of what's going on, what's happening to him, as God is giving him this opportunity to see into the spiritual realm, to see things that are normally invisible to the human eye. And he, he's... He's, uh, uh, so the angel comes to him and kind of speaks to him uh, and awakened him out of this stupor that he is in as the result of these, of these visions, as if he were asleep. And he comes and he wakes him up because there's a fifth vision coming. And so there's this fifth vision that's described in verses 4, 1 through 3. And I've tried to capture that as best I can <laughs> just to help you kind of visualize what it is that Zechariah sees. He says, what do you see? He said, I'm looking, there's a lampstand of solid gold, a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one to the right of the bowl and the other at its left. And so the thing that, uh, that jumps out to me from this this vision is this lamp is burning without any human activity, without any human effort. Um, because, uh, well, you know, where, where do trees come from? The ground. And how do trees come up from the ground? And how, who causes that? Who created the ground? Who created the trees? You know, so the trees are, are natural. They grow up. God created them. He planted a garden. And so God created trees. Who created the characteristics of trees? Who decided what trees would, would do? God. You know, so He decided that olive trees would be, would, would be filled with oil. And uh, I heard, heard Dr. MacArthur talk about this passage. And he said, you know, you, a lot of times you can go places and you can see uh, things that are made of olive wood from Jerusalem, you know, you can go to, and, and he, he, he said that uh, that wood has to be cured for over 40 years because the olive tree is so oily that before they can make anything out of it, it takes like 40 years sitting in the sun for the oil to, uh, so, so olive trees produce a lot of oil. And so, uh, uh, and, and God determined the characteristics of the olive tree. So the oil comes from the trees that God created, and it goes through uh, two golden pipes that empty into the, into the bowl, and from there the oil is transported by seven pipes to seven lamps. And so, uh, so this lampstand burns without any human effort or human activity. It is all the work of the Lord. And that's ultimately the, the meaning of the vision that he says there in verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And so whatever this vision means, it is going to be accomplished by God without the need of any human effort or any human activity. Um, and, and that's in contrast with the lampstand. You know, the first time we see the word lampstand in the Bible, what, where is the first time we, we hear about a lampstand in the Bible? Anybody, anybody know? Anybody guess? Okay, yeah, in the, when, in the building of the tabernacle. 
you know, the, the first home of the Ark of the Covenant. So in, in the same passage in Exodus where God is giving, he's giving uh, directions for the building of the tabernacle, he's, he's given the Ten Commandments, and now Moses is up on the mountain in the last part of the book of Exodus, like 12 chapters, God gives very specific instructions, a very explicit detail about the tabernacle and all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And one of the furnishings in the tabernacle is a golden lampstand. Exodus 25, 31. And God gives very specific, detailed instructions about the golden lampstand. As, just as He did about all of the tabernacle. Great detail. You know, God talks about the creation of all of the universe in two chapters, but He takes like 12 chapters <laughs> to talk about the building of the tabernacle. Because he goes into so much detail. And he gives great detail uh, instructions about the golden lampstand. Uh, the, the golden lampstand was to be placed in the tabernacle that Israel was building. And, uh, and God is very precise. He uses a lot of words to describe the, the lampstand. And we believe that every word in the Bible is, is breathed out by God. No, there are no wasted words. Every word that God breathed out is significant and important. And he gives a lot of words about the lampstand. And the lamp stands to be made for, from pure gold. What would be the significance of making it out of gold? It's, it's lasting, it's valuable, it's beautiful, it's purified by fire. And so gold would be a very valuable, precious metal purified by fire. And, and the lamp stand was to be fashioned as a tree with a base in the center represents the trunk of the tree with the branches coming out of it with seven uh, lamps on the, uh, uh, on, you know, three branches on each side. And the top of each shaft of each branch was to be made like an open almond flower. Uh, and each flower held an oil lamp. And the almond tree was always in that part of the world. The almond tree was the first tree to blossom and to bear fruit uh, and when things began to come back to life. And so the almond tree be, would be the first sign of spring. And as early as February, those olive, olive trees would begin to blossom. So the first, first sign of life in the spring would be an almond blossom, olive, uh, almond blossom. And that's what would be at the top of this lampstand. And in the tabernacle, later the temple, the lampstand was to be placed in the first section, the holy place. Remember, the, the tabernacle was a series of courts. And inside of the tent, there were two sections, the holy place and then the holy of holies. And the lampstand was placed in the holy place, and it was to be the only source of light. And so the lampstand was to give light to the holy place, and in the holy place only the priest could go. And inside of the holy place was the lampstand, the altar of uh, the table of the showbread, and the altar of incense would be inside of the holy place. And all of the light uh, for, the, for the tabernacle was provided by this one seven-fold uh, seven lampstand like what Zacharias sees in this, in, this, uh, in this vision. And the lamp was to be meticulous. The lamp in the tabernacle, and later the temple, was to be meticulously tended by the priest. And the priest had a sacred, solemn responsibility to make sure that the lamp never went out. And so he was constantly tending the lamp, 
trimming the wicks, making sure there was plenty of oil. It was constantly making sure one of his solemn responsibilities was to make sure that the light never went out, that there was always light inside of the holy place. And so that was one of the duties of the priest. But this lampstand, the lampstand that Zechariah sees, doesn't require any human attention. It doesn't require any human activity to, to give forth its light. There was no need for a priest. There was no need for any human because God himself provided all that was needed to make sure that this light never went out. And that's the, the significant message of the, of the vision. And so Zechariah sees this vision. He sees this lampstand, the two olive trees and the oil and uh, the, the, the lampstand being able to produce light without any human activity, without a human providing oil or trimming the wicks. It was all God. And when Zechariah sees this, well, it initiates a conversation between him and the uh, interpreting angel. Verse 4, I answered and spoke to the angel and talked to me and said, What are these, my Lord? And uh, what, how does the angel respond to him? Don't you know? You know, it's like it's like the angel expects Zechariah to be able to look at that and goes, Oh, I know what that means. <laughs> almost. It's almost like a rebuke, right? He says, Don't you know? And what does Zechariah say? Uh, no. I don't know. I don't have a clue. No, my Lord. And notice the word Lord there, all lowercase. And so he is using, he's speaking to the angel. He's not speaking to the Lord. So he's using the, the, the term uh, Adonai. Uh, which would be, could be, you know, sir. No, sir, I don't know. No, sir. I, I, don't, I don't have a clue. Um, and unlike the word Lord in verse 6, that's uppercase, that would be the, the name of Yahweh. So, the, so he, just, he uses a term of respect and a term of submission to the angel who interpreted him, know my Lord. And, uh, and, uh, and so again, and, and that's encouraging to me. And, and, and I think it's always important, and we talked about this with the Trinity a lot. You know, we've, got to be, we've always got to be comfortable with an element of mystery. You know, we have God's revelation, but we have to, to, to be humble and to recognize that even though we have God's revelation, we're not always going to immediately uh, rightly divide it and rightly understand it. You know, we are dependent upon the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us. And so there's always going to be an element of mystery. When we stand before God's revelation, uh, we, we have to be humble and have teachable spirits and recognize we're dependent upon the Lord. Uh, we're dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit for a right understanding and a right interpretation of God's, of God's revelation. And even after eight weeks of study, we can get to the point where we can say, well, you know, there's always an element of mystery. And we need to be humble and teachable about that and understand that. And, and, and Zechariah kind of models that for us. No, I don't, no, I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't know what it means. And so sometimes we just get to that point and just say, well, that's a mystery. It's a, a God-sized concept. I've got a human-sized brain. And I got to be okay with that sometimes. So, uh, so, uh, so he says, "Nope, I don't know." And the interpreting angel gives Zechariah two messages from this vision, two messages from this vision, verses six and seven, and then verses nine and ten. And they're very similar. They're very similar messages. And and to whom is the message addressed? Okay, Zerubbabel. So. Uh, uh, thus says the word of the Lord, so this is a message from God to Zerubbabel, Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, to Zerubbabel. And who is Zerubbabel? 
He's the governor, so he's the political leader. Remember, there's two key leaders, Joshua the high priest, and he got the message last two weeks ago. Uh, Joshua was standing before the Lord, and Satan was opposing him in chapter 3. Joshua the high priest, he's the religious leader. And then Zerubbabel is the civil leader, the political leader, the governor. And, uh, uh, and he is not completely in charge because he is submitted to King Darius of, of Persia, but Darius has appointed him as the governor. So he is the, uh, 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 the, the governor of this region submitted to the king of Persia. Now it is significant to note that Zerubbabel is the son of Shealtiel, and he is a descendant of David. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, when we see the genealogy of Jesus, you will find Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. And so Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. He is in the line of David, in the royal line. And so therefore he is qualified to be king. But because of the political situation, Israel has no king because they are submitted to the, the rule of the Persians, the rule of Darius. But the closest thing they have to a king is Zerubbabel, and he is fully qualified to be the king, being in the royal line. And so he has the maximum amount of political authority possible given Judah's political situation. He is the rightful king, and yet he is not fully king, but he is the, he is the governor. And so uh, the interpreting angel delivers the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel through Zechariah. And here's the main point of the vision, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This, this lampstand doesn't need any human intervention in order to produce its light. God is doing it all. God created the trees. God created the quality of the trees. God made the trees grow. God made the trees produce their oil. And the oil is uh, keeping the fire in this lamp burning. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, when the word might is used in the Old Testament, it usually refers to strength in numbers, strong groups, a multitude. Soldiers are called mighty men. And so when we see the word might, we think usually of military power, a group of strong men, a group of warriors, an army. And God says, what's going to happen, what I'm going to promise is not going to happen by military power. It's not going to happen by a group of mighty men. It's not going to happen when a bunch of soldiers come and, and go and accomplish a military mission. It's not going to happen by might. It's not going to be brought about by conquest. It's not going to be brought about by a group of mighty and powerful men. Just as the light of the lampstand and the vision is not dependent on human effort, what the Lord is about to accomplish will be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And also oil is a common uh, metaphor, a common symbol for the Holy Spirit. And so God tells us the meaning of the vision, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It says, Lord, now the word power, where might usually speaks of a group of individuals like soldiers and an army, the word power usually speaks of authority, political authority invested in one man, the king, the monarch, one ruler, ruled by one. And so power usually talks about political power that is invested in the hands of a person or an office, the office of the king. And so uh, 
political power concentrated in the in the hands of one, a powerful political leader. And, and God says, well, what's going to happen here? It's not going to happen by a group of mighty men, nor is it going to happen by political power. It's not going to happen by a decree or by a legislation or by a, a law that the king passes and enforces. It's not going to happen by military power. It's not going to happen by political power. It is going to happen uh, by my spirit, says the Lord. And so whatever's going to happen is going to be carried out by the spirit of the Lord and not military or political power. And, uh, and, and so, so God says that in verse 6, and then, and then He speaks to the mountain. Who are you, O great mountain? Now, uh, in the Scripture, lots of times, and even in, in, in military language, a mountain represents an obstacle. In the ancient world, you know, if you were going on a trip and you came to a mountain, what did you normally have to do? Go around it. It was an obstacle. It's an obstacle to your path, an obstacle in your way, and an obstacle that you could not just go up and over. You had to go around or, or you know, and it delayed your journey or prevented your journey. And so a mountain is, a, is an obstacle. You often uses a metaphor for obstacle. And, you know, Jesus speaks in the New Testament of having a faith as small of a grain of a mustard too. You can say to this mountain, be reviewed. Whatever obstacle is in the way of the advancement of the kingdom, you can say that obstacle, go get out and go into the sea. And you got faith, the grain of a mustard seed, that obstacle is going to be taken out of your way. That mountain's going to be taken and put into the sea. And that's exactly the picture here. Uh, he says to the mountain, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And so the mountain is going to be taken away. And, you know, mountains are difficult for attacking armies to cross. A mountain's train that's easy to defend. Uh, and so the mountains, the obstacles that stand in the way, of completing the temple will be taken away. Because he says the mountain will become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone. And so that the capstone is like the last stone that goes in to complete the building. You know, the first stone would be the cornerstone. The last stone would be the capstone, signifying that the building, the project is complete. And so whatever mountains, whatever obstacles there are in the way, they're going to be made a plain, and Zerubbabel is going to be able to complete, to finish the building of the temple. But not by might or not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, uh, so whatever obstacles are in the way are going to be removed. The hostile neighbors, the difficult economy, the spiritual apathy of the people, Whatever obstacles there are are going to be taken out of the way and Zerubbabel will complete the building of the temple with great rejoicing to the sounds of grace, grace to it. Uh, so he will bring forth the capstone and all the people will shout with great joy and they will recognize that the completion of the temple was not a human activity, but it was a gift of God's grace. And they will praise the Lord for his grace. Uh, it didn't happen by military conquest or political decree. It happened by the Spirit of the Lord through the hands of Zerubbabel, but the people acknowledged that it was a gift of God's grace. It's not because of them. It's not something they deserved, but it was simply God's grace. And so that's the first message. The temple's going to be finished. It's going to be complete. Zerubbabel's going to 
put the capstone, signifying the completion of the building. Any obstacle that stands in its way is going to be taken out of the way, and the building will be complete, period. That, and it's going to happen by the Spirit of the Lord. And so that's the first message. The second is, is, is kind of a continuation. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also finish it. And then the Lord of hosts, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And so Zechariah's ministry is going to be validated by the completion of the temple. In the Old Covenant, you told you, you could tell a true prophet from a false prophet. If the false prophet, if the prophet said what he said came true, you would know he was speaking the truth, that he was from the Lord. And if a, if a prophet said something and it didn't happen, then that was a false prophet, and you were to take him out and stone him. And so Zechariah says, Zerubbabel is going to finish the temple, and then you will know that I am a true man of God, that I am a true prophet, that the Lord has sent me. When you see the completion of the temple, it will validate the, the ministry of Zechariah. Today, we determine a false prophet from a true prophet by comparing what the prophet says with what God has already said and we have in the Scriptures. And so... Uh, uh, but in, in the Old Covenant, false prophet was determined. He said something that didn't happen. A true prophet, he said something and it happened. That's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18. So, uh, so Zerubbabel, 20, 20 years before, Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of the temple, as we read in Ezra chapter 3. And the people were excited, but after a while they quickly became discouraged. But they were discouraged by the opposition from their neighbors. They were in difficult circumstances. They didn't have very many resources. Uh, they focused on other priorities, on taking care of their homes and their businesses. And, uh, and, and so they, they quit building and didn't do anything for about two decades, for about 20 years. They laid the foundation. Zerubbabel laid the foundation, or they laid the foundation under Zerubbabel's leadership and then quickly got discouraged and quit the work. Stopped working. Uh, but 20 years later, the Lord called Haggai and Zechariah to stir the hearts of the people uh, to begin and ultimately to complete the work. Um, and, uh, and after the completion of the work, it would be confirmed that Zechariah was indeed called by the Lord. And then, and then verse 10 reminds us of what happened when they began to rebuild. Verse 10 for who has despised the day of small things? All right, what is that? What is that a reference to? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you remember in Haggai they started, they started to rebuild, and they got discouraged again because the little temple that they were building was nothing compared to the one that Solomon had built. And so it was as nothing in their eyes. And so they got discouraged. You know, Solomon built this beautiful, magnificent temple, and this little bitty, junky thing, <laughs> you know, they became discouraged again. And Haggai, uh, Haggai came and, and encouraged them and told them that ultimately the, the glory of that temple would be greater than the former one. So, so that, I think that's the reference there. You despise the, the day of small things. You were discouraged because the temple didn't look beautiful and it was small and humble compared to the previous one. And they become frustrated by the slow and painful prof, 
process of rebuilding and it wasn't near as beautiful as they wanted to be and they became frustrated. They made their frustrations heard. They began to complain and grumble and weep out loud. In their eye, what they were doing in the present was very small in comparison with the past. And so God encouraged them through Zechariah uh, that what the past held was very small in comparison to what God was going to do in the future. And so he, he says, Who has despised the day of small things? And then these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro through the whole earth. And I believe that here he's talking about, you remember over in, in verse nine, chapter 3, verse 9, we talked about the seven eyes on the stone. And I believe that's the, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, that we saw in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord is God's presence to protect and bless His people. It's the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. So the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit to, to be present, to make wise, to grant understanding, to give counsel, to give might, strength, uh, to give knowledge, and to give fear of the Lord. Uh, these... Uh, the, 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 the seven eyes, the Holy Spirit of God will rejoice to see the plumb line in the, in the hand of Zerubbabel. And so, and so not only will the building be completed, but it will be completed to plumb. What, is that, what does that mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, so the capstones of finality, the plumb line means it's in order, it's straight, the walls are straight, the corners are tight, everything's at... Uh, uh, Right angles, you know, it, it's built right. Uh, it was built according to plumb. It is square. It is straight. It is tight. It is done right. Was it done right by Zerubbabel? No, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But it's done right. It's built to plumb. And, uh, and the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth are, are rejoicing at the finish. The Holy Spirit is pleased with the completion of the temple. Um, and so, uh, so, so God is among His people uh, to strengthen them and give them knowledge, and the Lord rejoices at the completion of the work. And, and, and so you know, what, a, what an important message. It's a message that the people of, in Zechariah's day desperately needed to hear in order to persevere in the work. They'd become discouraged, but the Lord uh, assured them of His faithfulness. And he assured them that the work would be completed. It would not be completed by military conquest or by political decree, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, so they were comforted by the words and encouraged by the words of Zechariah from the Lord. And so the oil in this vision is the Spirit of the Lord. The lamps are the eyes of the Lord. But what about the olive trees? What about the olive trees? So, 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 so the oil is the Spirit of the Lord. The lamps are the eyes of the Lord. And uh, what about the olive trees? So Zechariah thinks about this, and he says, okay, uh, what are the two olive trees in the right of the lamp stand and at his left? And, and I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the olden oil drains? Then he answered to me and said, Do you not know what these are? I, no, Lord, I don't. And so he said to me, These are the two anointed ones 
who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Um, interpreting angel, can't you tell us a little more than that? <laughs> nope. That's what he tells us. All right? So, uh, two anointed ones. So, I have two. There's two possibilities, I believe. Remember, we use Scripture to, to interpret Scripture. Two things that I think it could be. In the Old Covenant, what are the three offices in the Old Covenant? Prophet, priest, and king. Two of those offices, when you enter that office, you are anointed with oil. The office of priest and king. Now the prophet, uh, the prophet becomes a prophet when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he begins to speak. You know, but there's not a symbolic ceremony where the prophet is anointed with oil. The only time that's even close, you remember Elijah after the, the, the showdown on Mount Carmel and he ran from Jezebel. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill Elijah. Elijah took off running. He ran and he was laying under that, that tree telling the Lord, I just want to die. I just want to die. That wicked, you know, just why don't you take my life and don't let the wicked king, queen have the pleasure of that. Just let me die. I'm the only one that has been true to you in all of Israel. And the Lord rebuked him and said, no, there's about 7,000 that have been true. And, and I got a job for you to do. I want you to go anoint this guy king and this other guy king. And I want you to go and anoint Elisha in your place. It's the only time that word anointing is used for a prophet, but when... Elijah got to Elisha, he did not cover his head with oil, but he took his mantle and put it on him. So, uh, so it's possible, possible that one of these olive trees represents the priest, and one represents the king. And that, and that would be, just in, in chapter 3, I mean, we, we were told specifically that the priest, that Joshua was standing before the Lord. And so this would be, and I don't know how to spell that, but you got it, Zerubbabel. All right, so it's possible that, um, that, that's what, that those are the two anointed. He's talking about the, 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 the priest and the king, and those offices are going to be restored. That's a possibility. There is another possibility uh, that we could uh, that we could use, and so uh, so so it could be the, the 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 priest and the king. It could be the political leader Zerubbabel and the the religious leader Joshua. Those could be the ones through whom God is bringing this message of encouragement that will result in the completion of the work, or. It could be the two prophets. It could be Haggai and Zechariah. Two anointed ones filled with God's Spirit to speak His Word, to speak the words of encouragement. So the Word came through these prophets. The Word of the Lord came through these prophets to provide this word of encouragement. And I say that because... Turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Now this is in the Great Tribulation.
Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, that I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Kind of like Zechariah. I remember he had a measuring tape, a measuring line. Uh, a measure, arise and go measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it. For it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. All right, you see the parallelism between what Zechariah said and what, uh, and what uh, John hears in Revelation chapter 1? These are two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. All right, so there in Revelation is two prophets, two witnesses are called olive trees. And so I kind of think that these two olive trees are Haggai and Zechariah, the two witnesses that God used to stir the hearts of the people to begin and ultimately complete the work of the temple, the work that he promised. And, uh, uh, and, and even that did not come by their might or their power, but by God's Spirit. So God's Spirit filled these men to speak the word that was a word of comfort and encouragement to Joshua, to Zerubbabel, because Zerubbabel and Joshua aren't really speaking words of encouragement. They are receiving words of encouragement from Haggai and Zechariah. And so I, I kind of think that, but it's not in, important to the understanding of the text, because if it was, the interpreting angel would have told us. But I sort of think that it's Haggai and Zechariah. Um, but uh, we, we can't be certain. And, and, and either way, it doesn't really impact the meaning of the vision because the meaning of the vision is not by might nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord. So however we interpret it, ultimately it was, it was uh, God's power. Um, but, but you know, that, that, uh, this interpretation might also explain why Zechariah has a hard time understanding who the olive trees are because he's one of them. And so here's a spirit of humility within Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah's humility prevented him from seeing himself in the vision of how God was at work in his people. And, and, you, and, and that's common with the great men of our faith. You remember Moses, when Moses went to the burning bush and Moses, uh, God told him to come and take off his shoes and he said, I'm going to send you to talk to Pharaoh and you're going to bring my people out and they're going to worship at this, at, this, at this mountain and that'll be a sign to you when you come and worship at this mountain. What did Moses say? Who am I? Who am I? I was just this 80-year-old dude that hadn't done anything for 40 years except work for my father-in-law and keep his sheep. Who am I? And it's interesting, when Moses asked that, God didn't answer that question. He said, I will be with you. It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. The fact is, what matters is I'll be with you. And so Moses, in humility, who am I? Surely you can't use me. But God said, that doesn't matter. I will be with you, just like in this vision. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, it's also true of, uh, it's not, not, just, not just Moses, but um, other, other people in the, in the Scripture. 
Um, Moses, who am I? Jeremiah could not believe that God would use him. When, when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I cannot speak, I am just a kid. But God said, in your mother's womb, I knew you and called you to be a prophet. Amos, I'm just a sheep tender and a, a, a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore trees. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. Paul couldn't believe that the Lord would use him. Called himself the least of the apostles and the chief of sinners. And so Zechariah looks at this vision and has a hard time understanding that he's one of the fig trees because he's just, he's just a guy. But a guy that God chose to use. And maybe you... You might not believe that the Lord can use you. Maybe you look at commands that we're things we're told to do in the Scripture, and you just say, "Who am I? Who am I?" And again, when Moses asked the question, the Lord didn't answer him. He just said, "I'll be with you." It doesn't really matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are if the Lord's with you. And Zechariah probably didn't fully understand the key role that he would play in the accomplishments of the Lord's people. And uh, because the people, people returned from Babylon were faced with huge obstacles, mountains all around them that would prevent them, that could prevent them from doing anything or accomplishing anything significant. They felt like that. Oh, there were just these mountains all around us. All these obstacles. There's financial difficulties. There's opposition from our neighbors. There's just all kind of difficulties and just general low morale. Everybody's just discouraged and frustrated and grumbling and complaining. Mountains all around us. How will the obstacles be overcome? How will the mountains be laid low? How would they be turned into plains? Not by military might. Not by political decree. But by God's Spirit bringing His Word through His prophets. God's Word is powerful. God's Word would bring conviction and commitment to work. God's Word would bring the resources to obey until the work was finished. And since the coming of the Lord Jesus, God continues to build this house. We've talked about the fact that in the New Covenant, there is no temple. The temple became obsolete when Jesus said it is finished and the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, opening access to all to come to the throne of grace in the name of Jesus. The temple is obsolete, but God continues to build His house and His spiritual house. His spiritual house on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, God is building His spiritual house out of living stones. Every one of us, a living stone connected to the cornerstone, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. God continues to build His church, His house. And He does it in the same way through His Word. Through His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, God sends out His Word and He convicts, the, the, he convicts of sin. He brings conversion. He conforms to the image of Christ Jesus. He works in the hearts and minds of His people to bring repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. And He does it not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, sending forth His Word 
letting the light shine to all the world for His glory. He's doing it the same way, sending out His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as the people of Zechariah's day faced many obstacles, the church today faces many obstacles. Increasing secularism, increasing materialism, increasing moralism, increasing persecution and opposition. And just as there were scoffers in Zechariah's day, there are those today that mock the church and accuse it of lacking power, lacking influence, lacking significance, just being old-fashioned, homophobe, patriarchal, white supremacist, mocking, scoffing the church. And we need the same vision, a vision of great encouragement that God will accomplish His purposes. And we need to be faithful even in the day of small things. Don't look at the past and feel like, well, the glory days, the best days of the church were in its past. Everything now is small and discouraging and weak and obstacles all around us. Don't be discouraged in the day of small things. Don't look at the past, but look at what God has promised to do in the future. God is faithful even in the day of small things. And all of His promises will be fulfilled. He will build His church. Every stone, not one stone will be missing. He will build His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no scenario where Christ's church is not victorious. All right, questions about the vision of the lampstand and the olive trees. All right, next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the vision of the flying scroll. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your, your grace toward us. We're thankful that you are a God who speaks. And Lord, that through your word, you send out your word and you accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And Lord, you use human instruments. And yet, they're not necessary. <laughs> because it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. But you choose to use human instruments as you fill them with your Holy Spirit and, and, and use them to accomplish great things for your kingdom. But ultimately... It's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you help us to be humble and teachable. And Lord, reliant upon your Spirit. Help us to see our weakness and our need so that we will therefore uh, be filled with your Spirit and empowered by your Spirit to do the things that you have called us to do. Lord, help us not to be discouraged in the day of small things. Help us not be to be discouraged by obstacles all around, but help us to believe your promises and to believe that you're faithful and that you will accomplish what you've promised. And Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful in the task to which you've called us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak your word to those around us. Speak words of comfort and encouragement and even words of rebuke and, and, and calls to repentance in the presentation of your gospel. 
how you grant forgiveness and grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful in shedding your word, letting our light shine so that you might be glorified. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all much.